God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is the Everyday Christian Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green, and this week we have Drew Suttles with us again. He was with us last week to discuss the Everyday Christian Male. This week we're going to discuss the Everyday Christian Female. Uh, tune in to Episode 11 if you'd like to learn more about uh, Drew. And again, I appreciate Drew for joining us for this episode. Again, he's the host of the Weathering the Storm podcast, which will be a part of the Scattered Abroad network of podcasts that uh, he and I both will be joining starting in January. So I would encourage you to look up that podcast and give it a listen. It's very, very good and certainly very important topics uh, dealing with encouragement, uh, weathering the various storms of life. and. I will put that podcast link in the show notes and would encourage you to click that link and give him a listen, give him a like and a follow, and uh, you will be glad that you did. Well, this episode, again, we're going to talk about the everyday Christian female. And Drew, I have a weird question for you. Some of our listeners may be wondering how in the world two of us guys have the right to say the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast today, considering neither of us are female. So uh, what would you say to the listener who might be thinking that, Drew? I'm saying as gospel preachers, we have the responsibility to preach the word, uh, to be instant in season, out of season, meaning you speak the truth when people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. Difficult subjects are included in that, Second uh, Timothy 4.2. Uh, also in Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So if it's in the word of God, we have a responsibility to preach it and teach on it. Uh, I think also in 1 Peter 4, 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it with the ability that he has. Think about that phrase as the oracles of God. I believe that means to speak as the prophet spoke. It means, uh, you know, not to shy away from it. To speak exactly what needs to be said. And so, no, I'm not a woman. You're not a woman. But as gospel preachers, as men who strive to be men of the book and preach the book, then we have a responsibility and obligation to uh, to share these thoughts with everyone. And it's not our opinions. This is what the Bible says. Right. So I believe that's what gives us that uh, qualification. But not only that, but a responsibility to Absolutely. We speak as the oracles of God, and uh, we're speaking authoritatively. Not that the authority is in and of ourselves, but as preachers of the gospel, we have the authority that is within the gospel. And Jesus Christ had the authority that the Father in heaven gave him. He gave authority to the apostles, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, and and also some New Testament prophets, uh, even. Uh, They had authority. And when we read their word that was written down for us, it's it's God's word written by the hand of man, but it came from God. And it is divine. Second uh, Peter 1, 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16, it's inspired. Uh, when we have that, we can speak authoritatively on all the subjects that are contained therein. And this is one of the vital subjects that is contained in God's word. So I definitely appreciate uh, how you answered that and hopefully... Uh, if we have any listeners who were wondering that, hopefully we answered that uh, fairly well. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into some characteristics of a godly woman. Now, we'll talk about this kind of from a general standpoint, just like we did last week, and then we'll move on to a godly wife and then a godly mother. And so, Drew, if you would, I'll let you lead us off on this. Okay. Uh, well, the first thing I'd like to say for our listeners is that the Bible elevates women like no other book even begins to do. Uh, there are critics of the Bible today that say, oh, the Bible degrades women and puts them down. That's simply not true. So I've got a short list here of some of the women who are elevated in Scripture. 
we think about Eve as the mother of all living, Sarah, of course, the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac, the son of promise, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the great prayer that she offered. Think about Ruth. Now we think about her being in the lineage there of David. Also uh, Esther. If it weren't for Esther and her courage, then the Jewish line was in danger of being uh, taken away. Think about Anna the prophetess there in the book of Luke. She was uh, exalted, if you will, elevated for her prayer life and faithfulness. Elizabeth says she was righteous before God. That was the mother of John the Mercer. The women who supported Jesus in his ministry, Luke chapter 8. Uh, the women who were the first at the tomb, Matthew 28. Uh, and also Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, who taught Timothy very young in the faith. So that's just a short list. Some of these women in Scripture who were elevated, who were honored uh, for the way that they lived for God. Wow, that is a great point. I, I appreciate that long list because uh, that illustrates just how how true that is. Uh, why do you think some accuse the Bible of denigrating women then? It may be, you know, that, that we try to put society, maybe look through the glasses of society and read Scripture. And that's very dangerous to do that. Uh, if you look at Scripture with 21st century glasses on, and you say, all right, here's what's happening today. Let me look through that lens and read Scripture. We're going to miss it. Right? We need to go back and see the Scriptures when we read it. When was this written? Who was it written to? Why was it written? What was going on around that time? That's very important to remember that. Uh, but it may be the case that uh, women may feel that way in society that may go back to, Oh, we, we've been belittled, we've been degraded. But if you're just honest with the scriptures, you're not going to find that. But it may be the case that it says women learn it in silence with all submission. But that's not degrading women. Uh, you have other passages such as Proverbs 31 we're going to notice uh, momentarily that elevate that woman from being the great independent woman that she was, the godly woman that she was. And so it may be that, that women look at what's going on in the world and then they feel that. But I would encourage all the women who are listening to this, go to the scriptures and, and to be be encouraged by the fact that you can do great things for God. For sure. Um, and I guess I kind of think that some of that may stem from the fact that the Bible gives very clear, distinct roles for the genders, for male and for female. And uh, you think back to the garden when sin came in. What did God tell Eve? He said that you're going to uh, have the, the desire to, you know, the man's going to rule over you and, and you're going to have that desire. Basically, you want the, the roles to be reversed. And yeah. we have seen that and we talk about radical feminism. Um, really, that's a problem in society today. I'm not saying uh, feminism in the sense of the right to vote and those sorts of things. Uh, completely biblical for, for women to have the right to vote uh, and things like that. But I'm talking about radical feminism and kind of, well, we think women have been denigrated. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to denigrate men. And we're going to try to elevate women over men. And how dare you say that men should have this leadership role that the Bible talks about? And so, no, we're going to reverse that. We're going to say that the women should be the ones leading the men in all aspects, uh, including in the church, including in the family. And, and that radical feminization uh, of society, you know, um, politically incorrect as it may be, it's, it's sinful and it is contrary to what the Bible teaches. That's right. And that's, that's what it boils down to. Uh, again, it's not that we're trying to push an agenda. We're trying to be biblical. Right. We're trying to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. If the Bible says that the man is to be the leader, that's where that's what we're going to speak. Right. If the Bible says that women are to learn in submission, that's what we're going to speak. Not because we came up with that. Uh, the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second yep. Peter 1, 19 to 21. This is, the Bible is the mind of God in written form. And what we have is exactly what God wants us to know. He mentioned Second Peter 1, 3. If it pertains to life and godliness, we have that scripture. And that includes the roles of men and women. Right. We want to know what God desires for the man. Likewise, what God desires for the women. But we can't go and read 
scripture with preconceived ideas. And again, we can't go in there with 2020 glasses on uh, and, and what's going on in society. But let's just let the Bible speak and, and then be able to understand, you know what? God's the one who created us. If that's the way he says it's going to be, then we need to respect that and live by it. Right. And to kind of piggyback off what we talked about last week, men and women are different. I mean, they flat out are different. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, I appreciate the kind of characteristics of men, and I appreciate the characteristics of women. Uh, they're different, and and they're both needed. We complement one another beautifully, and that's how God designed us. And, you know, men tend to be more rugged, if you will, uh, maybe direct, maybe rough around the edges, we might say. Women tend to be very uh, soft in temperament and uh, maternal and motherly, very fiercely protective. We use the term the mother bear, and I'm yeah. so thankful that they are that way because you ain't harming our children because that mom's watching, you know. Yeah. Um, very sweet, very loving. And, and so you can never run out of good adjectives to describe the blessing that God gave us when he gave us women. And sure. again, you said that the Bible elevates women. It exalts them to a very important position in society, and we certainly want to do that today. Uh, yes. But we also don't want to shy away with with some of the modern problems that have come about, just like we did. We don't want to shy away from what we talked about last week with right. you know men being feminized, uh, effeminate. We didn't shy away from that. But we also don't want to shy away with, with some of the, again, radical feministic ideas and, and talking about those um, which are really contrary to the will of God according to what he said in his word. Sure. So we want to be thankful for the differences between man and woman. By all means, we do not want to blur those lines like much of society is trying to do to d- today. And, and God gives us uh, men and women. He gives us our roles uh, in Scripture pretty clearly. And there's yes. not there's not much room for uh, for wondering at all. I mean, it's very clear in the Bible. And one thing I'd like to do is, is read through very quickly, and I'm sure that you want to talk about this a lot as well, um, but I'm just going to read through it quickly, and that's Proverbs 31. If you want to find uh, the definition of a godly woman, look at Proverbs 31, and there you will find it. And there's other passages as well, but this is probably the most well-known. So I want to read it very quickly, and I want uh, any ladies who are listening to this um, podcast today to really consider it and and try to be this woman. Uh, Young men who are maybe looking for a wife, try to find this woman because that's what you want in a godly woman. Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. First of all, you notice a mother is teaching her son, and that's, that's very important. But he says, what, my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroy kings. In that parallelism of verse 3, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroy kings. Did you know that women can be a destructive force? Uh, what kind of women? Ungodly women. That's what, it, that's what she's telling him here. Don't give your strength to ungodly women that will destroy your morals. And uh, a lot of commentators think that King Lemuel is just another name for Solomon. I tend to think that. Some don't, but I tend to think it's just like a nickname, if you will, for Solomon. Did Solomon follow this? No. He did not listen to the wisdom of his father earlier in Proverbs. He's not listening to the wisdom of his mother here either. He went and dallied with all kinds of ungodly women, and we see what kind of trouble that got him in. So those ladies who are listening to this today, be the godly woman that's going to help your husband if you have a husband. It's going to help your children if you have children. Uh, or if you're not married, uh, going to help those around you, maybe other uh, friends of yours, to be godly as well. You need to be that kind of woman, not this kind of woman who's very destructive uh, toward kings even. Uh, that's mentioned in verse 3. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink 
uh, to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and, and remember his misery no more. She's going into problems of alcohol, but she's going to be shifting towards uh, the woman that he needs to, to be finding. Open right. your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Another very important thing that, that we all need to keep in mind. But then in verse 10, this is where she begins talking about a virtuous wife. The opposite of that kind of woman who brings destruction in verse 3. Verse 10, she's talking about a virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. She's rare. Uh, a ruby is pretty rare. Uh, it's, it's of much value. It's hard to find them. Well, it's also hard to find a godly wife. But she's encouraging her son to look very intently and very diligently for that godly wife. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. Probably context talking about trusting her with his finances, uh, but also, of course, trusting his wife that she's going to be faithful to him, trusting his wife that she's going to be a good mother for any children that might be in, in the home, and so on and so forth. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Pretty self-explanatory. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Uh, she's probably preparing garments for the children, for the, for the husband, which was especially essential in ancient days and really uh, until the last few decades was really essential in the home um, in modern times too until now we kind of, most of our items we buy from the store. But still, you see she's working with her hands and, and making nice, uh, pretty things for her family. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants, taking care of, of meals in the home. Um, does the woman in the home have to make all the meals? No, that's not what this is saying. But there is a lot of emphasis there. Uh, she's providing uh, in this way, and, and it's an honor to do so for her home. And she, she gets up early in the morning before the, the light even comes to make sure that her, her house is fed. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. So she she's very industrious. She's wise. She's making investments. Uh, and so that can kind of clue us in on the fact that a, a, a godly wife can help in the finances in a home. Uh, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Uh, figuratively, she's clothing herself with this deep strength of a godly woman. And if you ever see a godly woman, you, you know it because she's got this this deep sense of almost unex, unexplainable strength about her. And, and that is exactly what a god, godly woman should look like. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's helpful to those who are uh, misfortunate. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Uh, when winter comes, her household's taken care of because she's provided these these uh, coats, very nice, pretty, red, scarlet coats for her household. Uh, one thing about wives, about, about mothers, they provide color to the household, just be yeah. beauty in decoration and, and clothing. And I told Lindsay the other day, I appreciate how you like to uh, color coordinate our outfits for Sunday. And we get some really nice pictures out of that. I appreciate that. That's, that's a wonderful thing about a, a, a godly woman. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates wet when he sits among the elders of the land. Her husband has a good reputation. Part of that is he's got a godly wife who has a, a good reputation. She makes linen garments and sells them, again, providing financially a little bit. Uh, that's not her primary role, but she can do that uh, to help out uh, as long as she's not neglecting her primary role and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. 
And if a, if a, a man has a godly wife uh, and, and mother in the home who speaks softly, who is kind to him and their children, he is richly blessed. Uh, because there's also Proverbs that talk about how uh, a, a wife who is constantly uh, a nagging or uh, there's one verse that talks about a continual dropping. If she's using her tongue in negative ways, then it can really harm the household. Uh, we're almost done here in verse thirty in chapter 31. She, she uh, watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So she's not lazy. She's diligent in the household. Uh, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And, and men, we need to remember that. We need to praise our wives when, they, when they've done a good job. And our children, we need to teach our children to be uh, respectful of our, of our wives and, and praise their mother. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And oh, what a joy if, if one finds a wife like this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. It's not going to last very long. Before you know it, beauty fades, physically speaking. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. She will be well known for the fact that she's a godly woman. So, the, I mean, if we wanted to, we could cut the podcast off right here and we would have done pretty well describing a godly woman. But there's a lot of other things that are mentioned in the Bible that we want to discuss that are characteristics uh, of a godly woman. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, as far as general characteristics? No, I'm going to piggyback on Proverbs 31 when we move on to the next point. Okay. Like you said, if that's all that the Bible had to say about women, what would be our takeaway? Wow. It's a lot. It elevates women. Right. There's nothing better than a godly woman. Right. So... Yeah, like you said, that's, that's a great, great chapter. Absolutely. Uh, there's a couple more verses I'd like to bring out as kind of general uh, characteristics, and, and then we'll get into a godly wife. First okay. Timothy 5, verse 10. In this context, we're dealing with godly widows. Uh, Timothy was to help take care of widows, and talking about whether or not widows would be brought under the care of the church, financially speaking. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, what is a godly woman? Well, let's read this. Uh, well reported for good works. Okay, uh, these widows, but certainly it applies to women in general. Well reported for good works. If she has, number one, brought up children, and we know it's not always possible. Um, some, you know, very sadly, and, and the Bible even deals with this subject, uh, some are barren. And for whatever reason, just physically, that, that's not a possibility. And we really feel for for ladies who would like to have children but can't. And we always want to be very mindful of that and, and, and uh, encouraging to ladies who are really suffering from this. Um, but if a, a woman has been blessed with children, she's brought them up. She's Her children take a priority in her life. In fact, really an utmost priority in the home, and she is a good mother. That's a very important characteristic uh, of a woman uh, if she has children. Uh, if she has, number two, lodged strangers, she cares about other people so much so, so that people she doesn't even know, she tries to take care of their physical needs. Now, from a safety standpoint, we've got to be really careful nowadays because there's not too many strangers that you want to deal with without being very careful. Um, but the general principle here is that she's taking care of physical needs. She's helping people who have uh, these needs. Number three, if she has washed the saints' feet, that's the idea of serving Christians, uh, looking for opportunities to help fellow Christians and humbly doing so. I mean, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was utter humility that he was showing us. And and she should be of utmost humility as well. And and so us guys should as well. But we're highlighting the role of women here. Uh, number four, if she has relieved the afflicted. Again, serving the afflicted. And then number five, 
if she has diligently followed every good work. Just as a genuinely righteous person, uh, diligently following every good work. She's got her hands uh, in on good works. Uh, a couple other of uh, general principles before we go into a godly wife. First Timothy 2, verses 9 through 10, let's talk about modesty. Uh, and sometimes us preachers get in a little bit of trouble when we preach sermons on this because, quite frankly, this is not a popular subject anymore. But it's a needed subject. It's important. And society today is 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 encouraging our ladies to dress inappropriately, uh, just quite frankly. First uh, Timothy 2, verses 9 through 10. And by the way, we always throw this disclaimer out there because... Uh, Modesty rules apply to men as well. Um, I shouldn't go out and mow the yard with my shirt off for others to see. Um, that's not modest. Uh, but why do you think Paul is highlighting modesty in terms of, of women here? Uh, because I think, number one, um, ladies love to dress in, in beautiful ways. We saw that in Proverbs 31. But if you're not careful, you can take that too far, and it, it can become about being gaudy and, hey, 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 look at me, and that would be sinful. But then also, in a sexually immodest uh, sense, uh, Drew, us guys, we know that it can be a, a pretty big struggle uh, when we see sexually immodest clothing. And so there's that aspect of this as well. Let's go ahead and read this, 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 through 10. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. I think King James says shamefacedness, the idea of uh, even bashfulness. Um, erring on the side of caution. I don't want to, to put myself out there in an inappropriate way. Uh, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So again, it's not a sin to look nice, but if, if the emphasis becomes so prioritized that that's all we're worried about, then it can it can become a problem. Uh, but which is proper for women professing, and here's a key word, godliness, with good works. Again, modesty, this is a difficult topic, but it needs to be talked about. Um, and there are sexually inappropriate clothing. I've looked at this before, and I didn't look at it for preparation for this uh, episode, but I want to say there's a, a word in here. I, I want to say it is, uh, well, it escapes me, but um, I know that in, in studying the subject before and looking at the Greek, there is the idea, um, I've made the point, have you lost your mind? <laughs> you know, parents sometimes, parents sometimes, uh, you know, daughter is getting ready to walk out the door for school and mom and dad say, have you lost your mind? Go put on some clothes. You know, uh, this this shamefacedness and, and bashfulness, this propriety is the idea of having a clear mind when it comes to the clothing you're wearing. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. If I remember looking at the Greek, uh, we've got to make sure that we're wearing things, uh, men and women. But in this context, what we're talking about today uh, ladies, we want to encourage you to wear things that are appropriate. And um, it doesn't take a whole lot of, of effort to figure out what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. Look through those store shelves and what you're buying. Make sure that you're buying uh, appropriate clothing. Uh, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. After discussing the older men, it goes into the older women, and then it goes into the younger uh, women and younger men. Uh, Titus 2, 3 through 5, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to do what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, that's kind of modesty as well, uh, homemakers, uh, keepers of the home is the idea. Again, that's kind of their, that's kind of their realm, their, their right. priority. They can, it's not to say, oh, you can't ever venture out the home. No, that's not what we're saying. But their priority is, hey, I'm a homemaker. And uh, even if they work outside of the home, still, they they emphasize also that homemaking. 
uh, good. And here's one that is really taboo today, obedient to their own husbands. Now, radical feminism would say, how dare we say that? But that's what the Bible says. Uh, and other passages say they're to be in subjection to their husbands. And then it, I have this highlighted. I have it underlined. I have it uh, bold that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Right. Now, ladies reading this, if you're falling short in any of these areas, you're blaspheming the word of God. And as we talked about earlier, the authority that the word of God gives us, uh, even as men, uh, it gives us the authority to talk about these subjects, uh, even as difficult as they may be because of modern society. All right, well, uh, in the words of Mr. Gump, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a godly wife. Let's get more specific. Uh, Drew, a lot of these have kind of already been covered a little bit in the passages we've discussed, but can you think of any more characteristics of a godly wife? Yeah, there, there are three. Been a preacher, I literated them, but I think they, in all the passages that you've read for us, I think that they, they fall in. A godly wife is selfless, a godly wife is sacrificial, and a godly wife is submissive. And I think those three things, the scriptures teach those three characteristics. Uh, I want to go back to Proverbs 31, and, and I appreciate that you read that because that whole chapter needs to be read. And, and the description that, that inspiration gives us is wonderful there. But this is not original with me. Uh, in fact, Brother Cates taught us this. You may have it in your Bible as well. But he said, who can find a virtuous wife? And, you know, the one who's far, uh, worth far more than rubies. It's because of her priorities. And a godly wife, a godly woman, a godly mother, all of this kind of comes together. It's because of her priorities. Verse 12, her husband. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Uh, verse 15, her household. She rises while she at night and provides food for her household, a portion for her maid servants. Verse 20, the helpless. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Goes back to verse 9. Remember what she told her son. Plead the cause of the poor and needy. This is what you need to look for. Look for someone to do that with you. Verse 30, heaven. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing. The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's her priority. And then finally, not herself. You piece all this together, it all boils down to a godly woman who is willing to be humble and submissive and be who God wants her to be. And so, again, her priorities and those those five things say characterizes that godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. It fits in all three. Very, very good. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was submission. And again, some of the things that we have to talk about in this particular episode is not politically correct. It's very against what radical feminism is teaching. Uh, but the Bible has quite a bit to say about submission uh, from the wife's standpoint. That doesn't make her inferior. Um you know, even God the Son submitted to the Father's will while he was here on earth. Did that make him inferior? Well, he was still God. He's God the Son. Uh, but he had a role to play uh, as he came in the flesh on earth. And that role was to fulfill all the prophecies that, that had been written of him, to teach us, to be the example for us, uh, to be tempted and yet did not sin and ultimately uh, to humble himself even to the death of the cross. He did all of that, and it was actually obedience to the Father in heaven's will. So if God the Son can obey the Father's will when he came and, and did that for us, and, and we certainly don't think of him as inferior in the sense of somehow less than, he was still God. He was God in, in the flesh. He was God the Son. Um, so we don't think of him as inferior. Well, we don't need to think of, of women as inferior, even even though they have this role that God has given them very clearly in Scripture of submission. That's right. So Ephesians 4, I mean, uh, Ephesians 5, rather, 22 through 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. 
kind of the idea of, uh, and we see in other passages, the husband's not to lord over her and kind of hold it over her head. That's not the idea. Right. He should take her feelings into consideration. But at the end of the day, the the husband does have the final say in uh, in you know serious matters that they're going to be dealing with. Um, okay, well, I, you know we're going to move or uh, we're going to make this big decision or you know what have you. The husband has the final say, and, and the wife should 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 submit to that. That's not what I'm saying. That's what God's word says. So wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I'm sure that has to be hard. Now, I've never been in that situation because I'm a, I'm a man. That's got to be very difficult. In uh, in 1 Peter 3, Submission for the wife, even if the husband's not so good, that's got to be extremely difficult. But that command is still there, and so um, now husbands, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the difficulty of this command, and we need to be um, we need to have compassion toward our wives when when we can take all this into consideration. And again, we don't need to lord over them like uh, okay, my way or the highway. No, we don't need to have that attitude. We need to take their feelings into consideration. We need to take their input. And then as we make that final decision, we take all the input, our input, our children's input even, uh, our wives' input, and we make a godly final decision. And, And if our wife submits to that, we need to be thankful for that because, quite frankly, there's a lot of, of ladies in society today who who don't submit to their husbands in a godly way. That's right. Um, Ephesians, go ahead. I was going to say, I want to share this with you and our listeners and kind of brag on my wife for just a moment. Uh, when I decided to go to the Memphis School of Preaching, that was a big shock for her because I had no intention of being a preacher. It was after studying with Jonathan and realizing this is great. I want to do this. You know, I came home and told her, I've got to preach. And I remember her looking at me and asking me, are you serious about it? I said, yes. And she said, I'll start packing. Yep. Now, just over the years, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, she could have met that totally different. Yep. She could have had a different perspective about that. And that would have thrown me off. Yeah. If she wasn't to have been submissive the way the Bible speaks, it may not have been the right way. In other words, I may not have been able to do that. I wouldn't have had her support. How difficult would it have been if I didn't have her support? Uh, but I did. And like you said, that was a decision that I made ultimately. But I had to have her right there with me. And she did. And we haven't looked back and she's been there uh, with me through all of it. So that's an example of a wife submitting to her husband. But also understanding me as a spiritual leader of the family. That this was going to be something beneficial for both of us. Good point. And I think you, you and Lindsay would agree. Yep. Going to the Memphis School of Preaching strengthened our marriage. For sure. And strengthened us as striving to be a godly husband and a godly wife and, and having a godly marriage. Being an MSOP for two years helped that. Absolutely. Okay. And so that's just a personal example there. Right. And I appreciate you for mentioning that. And, and Drew, how many times did our instructors at Memphis tell us, you know, your wife will either make you or break you as a preacher? Right. Uh, hey, you can't do it. You can't do it without them. Right. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a team. And when you. You know, if you're a preacher and you're going to get a new word, it's not just you that they're hiring. Yep. They're hiring your family. And your wife is going to be extremely important. Uh, and, and like you said, it can be helpful or it can be a detriment to how much good you can do in the kingdom. Absolutely. For your wife is. For sure. So, uh, again, uh, ladies, if you're listening to this, uh, we, we, we give you honor. And we hope that you realize just how important you are uh, if you're married to your husband. You've got children to your children. Uh, maybe there's a preacher's wife listening to this or two. Uh, how important you are as a preacher's wife. And, you know, we think about how we're, they're kind of hired on with us in a, in a sense. Not that for they sure. get a paycheck, you know, an extra paycheck for the wife. Here you go. Uh, but they're under a lot of scrutiny. That's right. And, uh, under a magnifying glass. Yep. And it can be difficult. And 
those of us who are preachers, we need to always be mindful of that and try to really be attentive to our wives to make sure they're doing well. Are you handling this? Are you, are you happy? You know, this sort of thing. Because at, at the end of the day, you and I as preachers, any other preachers might be listening to this. Do we want to save souls? Absolutely. Do we want to save as many souls at our congregations that we can? Of course, that's what we're here for. Do we want to go out into the community and save souls? Yes. But our first and foremost priority is we should be saving, helping save ourselves, our wives, and our children. And if we ever get to the point where we neglect them, then we probably need to take a break from preaching because uh, we've got to make sure that we're leading our, our wives and children to heaven because that is, uh, as a father, as a husband, that's priority number one. So, Amen. Amen to that. So as we kind of transition back to uh, to wives, uh, Ephesians five thirty three says, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. So husbands, if you're listening, make sure you do that. And then for the wife, let the wife see that she respects, or King James reverences, her husband. That's another thing that, again, feminism does not want to admit but it's true and drew i don't know about you but me personally respect is such a big thing Um, and we both have uh great marriages i'm sure but we also if we're being honest we've got difficulties in our marriage just like every marriage does and at times if there if respect has not been there what is that that's pretty hard isn't it us as a man god has put in us the extreme desire to be respected I don't know why that is, but that's what he has done. And if if there's a time where there's not respect, if there's flat-out disrespect, it is extremely harmful for a man. Uh, I don't know about you, but it makes a man feel like, why am I even trying? You know what? I'm just going to go sit on the couch. Now, maybe not to that extreme, but it makes you feel that way. And so, wives, if you're listening to this, it's extremely crucial that you respect your husband. And... uh, if it were not so, Paul would not have said this right here. Yes, sir. So just keep that in mind. And then First Peter 3, verses 1 through 6, we've briefly mentioned that. But wives, likewise, again, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Right. When they observe your chaste, uh, think godly, conduct accompanied by fear. So... Even if you don't have a faithful husband, ladies, through your submission, you might guide them to Christ. I guarantee you a submissive wife makes a huge impact, and it's a very positive impact on her husband. Because of that intense need for respect, and the submission goes along with that, if a wife is submitting like she's supposed to, which is completely contrary to human nature, and is completely contrary to what... Uh, feminism would want you to do, but if you do it anyway, you submit to him, he is going to appreciate that like you have, like you never believed. He's going to really appreciate that, and that'll make such a big impact on him that he very well might look at your life and your Christianity and become a Christian himself. And so he's staying right there very quickly in First Peter 3, I just want to bring this out. But, you know, Peter talks about difference between uh, your outward appearance and the hidden person of the heart. And it says that with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is what matters to God for women. This is what is precious in his sight. That the woman has this this beauty, this inner beauty. It says it's incorruptible. Right. We find that, that find that same word there in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. The inheritance says incorruptible. Nothing can destroy it. Uh, verse 5, in this matter, the holy women who trusted in God, what did they do? They adored themselves, the hidden person of the heart. And what did they do? These holy women who trusted in God, they were submissive. Being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. But in verse 7, it goes back to husbands, you dwell with them with understanding. And you mentioned that earlier. Understand that they have a role to submit to you, the husbands understand you have a role to lead them. Absolutely. Somebody that they want to submit to. Yep. And if you'll do that, you can be 
heirs together with the grace of life, and your prayers will be ended. But Chase, I just want to share this too. Have you ever noticed the word likewise there in chapter 3, verse 1? Yep. What is that referring to? If you go back in the chapter, back to verse 13, submission to government. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters. But then verse 21, to this you recall because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. So just as Jesus submitted, like you said earlier, wives, likewise, yep. be submissive to your own husbands. And so this is the godly pattern, if you will, is that wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. That's the way that God has always had it in his mind. Right, and this is extremely important. Um, we, we cannot emphasize this enough. What if uh, Christ had not submitted to the Father's will? All hope would be lost. Okay, well, ladies, and again, this is not politically correct, but if you don't submit to your husband, that is, I mean, that's a, cru- that's a critical part of being a Christian woman. If you're not doing that, then, you know, what's the point of doing anything else? Uh, it's very important and you know we get in trouble emphasizing this because it's so politically incorrect but it's what the Bible teaches if it's biblically correct that's all that matters that's right amen to that uh, in in First Peter 3 later on it talks about Sarah and Abraham she obeyed Abraham she called him Lord not in the sense that okay uh I don't know, not in the sense that he's some king over her. That's not the idea. But the idea was that she was so respectful of him that she had this special term of endearment, Lord or uh, Master. Uh, you know, Master, what does that mean? Well, uh, in modern English, it's Mr. I mean, it's really a term of respect. That's right. Um, I don't know, we might say hubby, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a very respectful and loving, endearing way. Uh, the point is, uh, don't refer to your husband. Don't go talk to your lady friends and be like, oh, my husband is this and that. and uh, He's a buffoon. No, don't, don't treat him like that and don't denigrate him. Speak of him in utmost respect, even if he's not necessarily deserving of it. Again, First Peter 3, that particular husband in that context wasn't deserving of it, but if you speak of him well anyway, just because he's due respect as a husband, then you're doing right based on what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, we've talked about why, or we've talked about uh, women in general. We've talked about wives. We want to talk about godly mothers. And I've kind of encroached upon this already with what the passages I've already covered. Uh, Drew. Is there anything else you can think of as far as godly mothers, uh, maybe that we've overlooked so far? Well, well, and Chase, I don't, I don't know your mother, uh, but looking at you and your example, I would venture to say you had godly parents that helped mold you to who you are. I know that my mother's that for me. Certainly, there spiritually, from an education standpoint, very strict on me. Uh, but my number one fan, I've never had to doubt that one bit. Uh, she's the youngest of five girls, so I have you know four aunts that I looked up to. So being around them growing up, I learned to respect and appreciate women at a very young age. Uh, but the way that my mother, looking back over time, now that I'm a parent, uh, I maybe overlooked some of those sacrifices she made. But I came up with these three, thinking about my mother being a godly mother. And for the godly mothers listening, hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. Number one, their example. You know, they can say things, but their example. What do they do? And that's First Peter three. They may yep. be worn by the conduct of their wives. How you carry yourself, your example that you set, will speak louder than any word that you may say. Number two, they exemplify love. The love of a mother is different from any other relationship we have in the world. It's different from the husband and wife. It's different. You know, from a brotherly love standpoint, the love that you have from your mothers is just different. Unconditional. It is unconditional. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, my brother's seven years older than I, and 
And, and I know that my mother loves both of us in her own way. Very deeply, like nobody else does. Then the third characteristic is that she exalts God. And if I could say anything about my mother and godly mothers that influenced me in a positive way, it's that I have no doubt that the most important thing to them is to be godly. They exalt God in the way they dress, in the way they talk, in the way they respond to adversity and difficult times. So those three characteristics are what the Bible teaches that a godly mother will have. They have a great example, they exemplify love, and they exalt God. Yeah, that that is really that, that's profound, and it's you know it's the example. Think about those who maybe did not have a godly example uh, with their mothers or or their fathers growing up, and just how much they miss out on that godly example is so important, and. Um, those who are mothers listening to this podcast never underestimate the impact that you can and will have on your children in the the little things in the everyday grind. Yes. Uh, my wife is is a homeschooling mom. Okay, she loves it, but at the same time, she gets so frustrated with it sometimes. And yes. I, I get it. I mean. I don't know if I could do it, but she's doing it, and it's so rewarding. She, I mean, she's seeing Andrew, who's in kindergarten, learn so much, and he's he's reading uh, four letter four word sentences now in the little little picture books, yeah. and it's so rewarding. But how did how did she get there? One day at a time, and it's this little thing added to this little thing added to this little thing. This teaching moment, this teaching moment. And that's a that's a physical, uh, educational thing, uh, teaching him how to read, and teaching him to do his math, and those sorts of things. But there's lots of little things that go into that, and her example and her patience and her working with him is going to make a huge impact on him educationally as she's homeschooling him. But think about it even more importantly from a spiritual standpoint, every teaching moment. Every time she has to discipline him, go to your room, you're in trouble. This is why you're having to deal with this. Look, that was wrong. You should not have lied or you should not have hit your sister or what have you. Every teaching moment is going to make an impact on him. And when he grows up, and and Lord willing, if he finds a wife, I pray that he's going to look for a wife that is as good as or even better than his mama. And and that example that she makes is crucial for him to grow up and find a a wife uh, such as that. Absolutely. Well, uh, ladies, if you're listening to this, uh, kind of some key takeaways. Proverbs 31, go and read through that often. Uh, be that Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, we talked about modesty. We talked about submission uh, to your husband. Uh, all important things, uh, your godly example. Um, but really it boils down to read God's word and to the best of your ability, submit to it. Submit to God. If you submit to God first, then submitting to your husband is going to be easy, compar- comparatively speaking. And uh, dressing modestly is going to fall right in place because you're going to want to uh, please God. And so you're not going to wear things you, you shouldn't wear. Uh, you're going to avoid the, the pitfalls of radical feminism and things of this nature if you submit to God. So kind of our last point we want to talk about today is this problem that we have in modern society, this radical feminism. Now, again, we want to emphasize radical feminism. We're not talking about, you know, the right to vote that came about. We're, we're thankful for that, uh, to work and, and things of that nature. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is radical feminism. And I'll give you an example of that. Back in the 50s, and the 50s has become a byword in society today because people think, oh, look how terrible we were in the 50s. Were we really? 
Because you think about some of the shows that came out in the 50s, for instance. Father Knows Best. That was actually, I mean, it was showing, hey, look. It was basically teaching this biblical principle that, hey, uh, kids are trying to figure out their way in the world, and they mess up a lot and get in trouble, and then they go to Father and he straightens it out for them. They go to Father as the the uh, leader in the family. That was a good biblical principle. Right. Um, you think of of uh, other shows, uh, Leave It to Beaver and um, Ozzie and Harriet and Honey, I'm Home. Yeah. And there the wife is, and she's got a a, a nice focus and attention to the household. Um, that's frowned upon now, but that was really exalting what we have read about women, emphasizing not not keeping them in the home, not getting in the kitchen, that kind of thing, but this important role that they have of, as the Bible says, keepers of the home. So we've gone from that in uh, the 50s to today, what do we have? We have TV shows that have the husband, the father, acting like a buffoon, basically. And he's always getting in trouble. And it seems like every TV show, it's the husband, it's the father, who is the goofball, who's always looking like an idiot, essentially. And they're making fun of, and what we're doing is we're making fun of the role of men. And so we have taken some genuine, true problems that have taken place with uh, mistreatment of women, we might say. And what radical feminism has done is it has swung the pendulum completely the other direction and is basically now at the point where it's actually denigrating men. And, And that's not right either. That's not good. And so as we think about radical feminism and how it has affected our culture in negative ways, and I want to ask ourselves, how can we balance how can we find balance between properly and righteously exalting women, as we have talked about today, in biblical ways, uh, giving honor to women as the weaker vessel? Uh, how can we find the balance between that and not radically feminizing our world? Well, that's a great question to ask. And, and I think you mentioned balance. And to find balance in anything, any topic, is to not have an extreme Either way. Don't let and that pendulum swing too far either direction. That's right. And you talk about that. You know, for the man, it's not, you know, like you said, you know, your wife is almost in, uh, you know, cowering down the corner and scared to talk or scared to move. You know, that's, that is extreme. Right. But likewise, for the man to cower down the corner and for the woman to make that, that's the extreme as well. It is. So you've got to have balance. And we talked about this you know, last week and today about the role of men, the role of women. We're different, and I'm thankful for that. Absolutely. I'm thankful for that. Um, just the way that God made us. You know, women go through things that men don't, but likewise, men go through things that women don't. Right. That's why God made a distinction between a man and a woman. Right there. Uh, there are, you know, the best way I guess we can describe this is to go back to the Word of God. That's, that's how we're going to figure this out if we want to have balance. We have to remember that the one who created us has the right to give us the instructions as to how we are to conduct ourselves as men and for women to conduct themselves as women. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, Paul writing to the brethren of Corinth, so you talk about a, a messed up society, had a lot of mistakes going on there, and I believe society was creeping into the church much like it is today, sadly. But Paul said, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. There's the authority. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. What did he just do? He gave the divine order, the divine pattern for how God has designed it to be. And the reason for it. And the reason, exactly. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Beginning there in verse 7. A man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. 
was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because the angels nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. So as Christians, for as woman came from man, even so man also comes to woman, but all things are from God. I think that last phrase there is what jumps out. All things are from God. If we want to think about the role of a man, role of a woman, whether that's husband, father, wife, mother, we've got to go back to the biblical blueprint. If we're going to restore the roles of a man, role of a woman, it's got to be the way God's designed it to be. And over and over again, there are distinctions made between a man and a woman. And one final passage I'd like to read is, is going back to First Timothy chapter 2. I, I believe this might be the epitome of the text if we're looking at the different roles and distinction that's made. Hey, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Now this word men is not anthropos, which talks about mankind, but in there, this is a male. That men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, like we talked about earlier, uh, with propriety and moderation, not with better hair and gold, not about the outward. Verse 10, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now he gives the reason, verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So God not only says, here's the way I want it, but he tells you why. And we can look at being politically correct or how society does, but if we're really going to be the people God wants us to be, we're going to say, God, by means of creation, you are sovereign. You created me. I have no right to question anything that you do. Well, not the judgment. All the earth do right. Genesis 18.25. God does everything right. He does everything perfect. By means of creating us, he has the right to tell us how we are to conduct ourselves. And if we're going to restore that, if we're going to have balance, we've got to go to the Word of God and say, okay, here's what God desires from the man. Here's what God desires from the women, from women. And we need to not add to or take away from what He's revealed, but do our best to be submissive to it and obey Him because He's God. And He has the right to tell us what He wants. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned those two passages because that really ties all this back together. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, again, verse 7, it says, uh, Man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Going all the way back to Genesis, God creates man. God parades all the animals by him. He can't find a suitable helper, a helpmeet. The woman is the glory of man. She complements man. Perfectly. And that's how God designed it from the beginning. Man and woman side by side. Partners for life, we might say, as a, as a married couple. For sure. And uh, she is the utmost complement to man. And we need to compliment her. And we need to be thankful for her. And we need to give glory and honor to her. Again, as the weaker vessel. First Peter 3, verse 7. We need to realize, as men, how thankful we should be for women because they make this world a beautiful place. And hopefully they appreciate us too. And I think godly women do. But, um, you know, as we think about godly women, the Bible's very clear. And society, radical feminism, what have you, it tries to murky the waters. But the Bible's very clear what a godly woman should be. And I trust and hope that we have, have covered that in, in good detail uh, for the podcast today. So I certainly appreciate you, uh, Drew, for joining us again this week for the podcast. And I've really enjoyed it. I think it's been very, very good content. I really appreciate your contributions to it. And I, I enjoy doing these guest host podcasts. I, I really like the, the flow of it. And, and well, you thought about this that I didn't think about and vice versa. And I really like it, and again, your podcast is really good, and I would encourage our listeners to listen to it as well, Weathering the Storm, 
and we will post uh, the link to that in the show notes. Don't forget that Weathering the Storm and Everyday Christian will both be joining the Scattered Abroad network of podcasts beginning in January. Please go and like our Facebook page, uh, follow our Instagram, and share those if you will. And uh, we look forward to dropping new content. Uh, season three for you and me, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, starting out uh, for Scattered Abroad, and that will happen in January. And so very thankful for that and hope that you will help us uh, spread those efforts. Drew, thank you for joining us for the podcast today. Uh, it's been a good one, and I appreciate you both this week and last week uh, joining us, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, next episode, Lord willing, we're going to have Jameson Stewart on with us. Uh, Drew, you know him as well, good buddy of yes, yours, uh, graduated with you. Uh, he's going to talk to us about everyday Christians and holidays. So that'll be an interesting subject as well, Lord willing, next week.